Hello, and welcome to High and Tight on Game Time CT, the high school baseball podcast. I am Scott Erickson, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Pete Pagawaga. Pete, how you doing? Good, Scott. Good, good, good. It was, uh, we had a fun week last week together. We had a fun week. We made a road trip to uh, Ledger and New London, and there was baseball and hot dogs and rain and donkeys and everything. Alpacas. And alpacas. Yeah. That's actually a true story. So, uh, it was fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that later, but um, I do want to mention in the poll that came out this week, I know everyone loves the poll, we had our fourth first place team in four weeks. Honestly, we could have saved ourselves a lot of time and just kept Cheshire as the number one from last year into this year, <laughs> uh, but you know, Ledger was number one for a week. They got knocked off uh, the same way that Prep did and the same way that uh, everyone else who's been number one did. So let's see if uh, they can stay, if Cheshire can stay number one. For more than a week. That would be really surprising. Uh, they only beat Staples by two points in the poll. It was 420 points to 418. So Staples could easily slide up there. Uh, we'll see what happens this well, that's week. Your full that. disclosure, we don't know what we're talking about. We know a little <laughs> bit what we're talking about. I think, like I, I always say, I think the top teams are the top teams. But it's really hard to pick these teams. And, like, you know, we're going to talk to East Catholic coach Martin Fiore here. I voted East Catholic in the top ten this week. Some people did, some people didn't. It's really hard because there's eight teams in the CCC with one loss. Yeah. Like, how do you differentiate them? Southington to Glastonbury to Berlin to they lost East Hartford. To, East and, Catholic was in the top ten at the beginning of the season. They lost to Stratford in their second game, and then people just forgot about them. And then that was it. Yep. And then we write them off. But if you look at their schedule, they've played really good teams. They have a this really week good is going to be. This week is going to be. I mean, they go three and one this week. They really should be back into the top 10 i agree and like i said i voted them in the top 10 this, this is week. baseball no. this is not football right like one loss should not torpedo a team in it the poll for the rest of the season and one win shouldn't catapult look at hand i mean we saw hand uh last week but they were two two weeks ago then they lose to amity who's in the top five they yeah. go to six then they beat ledger who's number one and now they're back in the top three and it's like <laughs> Just up and down, up and down. No wonder why when we talk to these coaches and they go, well, we don't really care about the poll. It's like, well, do you blame them? No, I don't blame them at all. I think it's a fun thing. I think it's interesting. I think it certainly meant something to a team like Ledger to have that number one spot for a week. But, again, none of the poll matters until May, uh, really until June, uh, when you get that last poll. But it's a good gauge you know, to kind of look at teams, but – it's strange, too, because, like, Danbury's got three losses. They're not in the top ten, but they beat, you know, West Hill, Ridgefield, and Darien last week. Had a great week. So, don't, yeah, don't Yeah, don't knock stuff over, Jimmy Cricket. I almost knocked over the whole set. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, we're going to get to our interview with uh, East Catholic coach Martin Fiore right now, and then we'll be right back on High and Tight. We are joined now by East Catholic baseball coach Martin Fiore. Martin, uh, welcome to High and Tight. We're, we're happy to have you here. Hey, Scott and Pete. Excited to be here. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Absolutely. Thanks for jumping on. We, Like uh, Scott said, we really do appreciate it. Uh, you're only the third coach they've had at that school, right? Or At least in the last 50 years, it was Don Burns, Jim Penders, and then you. Uh, what's it like taking over a program like that and, and a tradition like that with so few head coaches? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we like to preach the little uh, stability thing over at East Catholic, you know, only being the third coach. <clears throat> you really don't step in and re replace the man, yeah. you know, so you just try to 
keep the same traditions going. You know, I was able to play for Coach Penders back in the 90s right. with, uh, with Jimmy Penders, his son. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of know the school, you know the, the way the program, a little bit of the tradition of the program. And so you just try to keep some of the traditions going. We use the line that tradition never graduates over there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, just having stability <laughs> for our kids and for our community, it, you know, it's an important thing, we think. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 90. In 90. from East Catholic. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. So right around the time I was born. Right um, around yeah, when Pete was born. <laughs> I mean, time has certainly changed, but some things just uh, stay the same as well. Yeah, what if, what if um, you know, how does that – I'll start that question over again. Taking over <laughs> the program where you played and, you know, you went to school, how important is that for you to be kind of a part, you know, to continue to be a part of the East Catholic family? So, I mean, I might have had a slightly different experience over there at East um, than, than some others. Uh, my senior year playing ball, my uh, my father actually had passed away in February. So if I didn't have, you know, Coach Penders, my teammates, uh, the East Catholic community, I would say, you know, life was a little tough at that time, extremely rough. I can't imagine. So having that, com- yeah, having that community basically there every day. Uh, my sister was also a junior at the time, so to have the East Catholic community there, to be for us on a personal level, you know, the the baseball part was kind of like your two hours of the day that seemed normal. Yeah. So put, putting on that uniform, going up to that field, being on the hill, being with the guys, being with the coaches, you know, knowing that they really cared about things other than just baseball, you know, it's, it's made me as a coach realize sometimes while winning is extremely important to me, you know, winning the right way and building some relationships along the way is has got to be at the at the forefront. I mean, people talk about having a family with their team and everything, but that's a little unique what your situation was. I mean, that's pretty special. No wonder you wanted to come back, right? Yeah, you know, I, I when I graduated college, I knew I wanted to get involved. Um, I moved to South Windsor and uh, coached at South Windsor High School for a year. And I was a big East Hartford player at the time, and Ray McKenna for McKenna Stadium was over there working every day like he did. And when I would show up in a – in a South Windsor uniform, he was kind of like I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> and then when we, you know, and then when we played uh, East Catholic, you know, Pender was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so uh, the stint was a little short over there in Bobcat Country, but um, I still make my home in South Windsor. But uh, having the opportunity to coach with Coach Penders, um, even though it was at, at the freshman level at the time, the coaches never make you feel like you're any less than anybody else. You know, the the, the coaching fraternity over there at East. You're just as important as the next guy. Coach listens to everybody, takes in everybody's opinions. You get to work with the players how you want. Of course, you already have vested kids with vested families who are already committed to an academic you know, institution that they're kind of looking for some seriousness with their athletics. And hopefully I was able to give back a little bit of that as a freshman coach, as an assistant, and and now do it as the varsity coach. Yeah, you've been the varsity coach now. This is your seventh season, if I'm correct. Um, what I yeah, guess is seven or eight. Seven or eight. Um, what has been the <laughs> um, the biggest surprise? You know, going from an assistant coach, um, you know, as a freshman coach or JV coach, and then an assistant coach at the varsity level to now becoming you know the head coach and you know the guy who has to answer the questions to the media and and talk to parents and and have to answer to administration. Was there like a kind of a big surprise or were you always prepared for that? 
Yeah, no, I mean, there were certainly some growing pains. Um, I, had, I had been the head coach of East Hartford American Legion at the time. I had coached some AAU at the time as head coach. But over at East, you know, when you're, when you're the freshman coach and you're the assistant, you, you kind of can be the good guy. You know, yeah. the guys like you. You know, they think you're cool at the time. <laughs> of course, I'm far from that now. Um, you know, so when you, when you take over the, the reins, especially for someone like Coach Penders, um, it definitely had its growing pains at the time. Um, our principal um, at the time also was extremely supportive, uh, Jay Hartling. Um, he had brought me in, and I knew there were several other qualified applicants, but to be able to stick with an alumni, someone who had been there and been in the program, I think it was like 13 years I was Penn's assistant. But certainly answering to parents and administration and CIAC and everything else that comes along with the reporters, you know, um, you try to make yourself to say you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. And <laughs> if we can, if we can stay on a common, uh, even keel, I think we'll be doing all right. Uh, you you guys have a big week this week. You got Manchester today. You got Weathersfield, Berlin, and then you get a trip to Hamden. Uh, how do you like the makeup of your team so far, and and what you've seen from them early on? Yeah, well, um, we're going to learn a ton this week for sure. You sure will. We yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. We just took. Uh, we had another tough week this past week. And we went up to New Hampshire, and uh, we spent the night and uh, had a chance to play at Keene Regional High School, which is a powerhouse up in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was going to be a test for us because being being away from home, you know, being in the hotel, you never know how you're going to wake up, how you're going to prepare. And we kind of passed that test. And I said to the guys, you know, this was this was a game on the schedule that could have been a little suck me in game, or you don't really know when you're you're on school vacation number one, so you're you're out of your element and your routine isn't the same. Um, playing three games this week. Now we've had, or actually four, we've had a lot of guys step up and be super pleasant surprises. So we're going to have to go deep in the pitching staff. My opinion is that's how baseball was made to be played. You right. know, uh, you play every day. I mean, it's easy if you play two games a week and you throw the same guys out there all the time. And you, you kind of know what you're going to get, even though baseball is different with the bounces and the weather and the fields and things like that. But, uh, no no easy task this week by all means because we're not going to be able to throw anybody twice. Yep. And everybody's going to have to do their part, but we're also not built around one guy. So everybody's going to have to take the ball and embrace that challenge, that opportunity. And if we hit a little bit, throw some strikes, hopefully we'll be in good shape. Yeah, now who, <clears throat> who are some of the guys that, uh, you know, if people don't really know anything about East Catholic that they should really keep their eye on this year? Yeah, well, I mean, offensively, I was kind of thinking about this as I knew you guys were going to be giving me a, a call. Offensively, you know, we really don't have that that big-time uh, Jimmy Titus bopper, the Matt Smith bopper in the lineup where, you know, we're hitting balls over the fence and, you know, you can kind of expect him to get a couple hits or get on base. We're, we're pretty much like hitting 300 as a team. Mm-hmm. And guys like Harrison Eklund, who was our quarterback this year, um, he's having a good senior year. We've got Matt Byam, who just won a state championship with the basketball team. He's been a great surprise this year. Uh, guys like Carl, Kyle Darby, who we moved over from second base over to shortstop because we had a huge blow at the beginning of the year, losing uh, a four-year starter or three-year starter in Vincent Cacavelli to a devastating labrum tear. He mm. had surgery yesterday. Um, <clears throat> so we've we've pretty much had everybody sort of just doing their part and the seniors have just been able to put the ball in play to give us a chance to make things happen so 
the Eklunds of the world, the Byams of the world, even the Darbys of the world, Emilio Acosta, some of these guys haven't had storied careers, and they're just doing their part, doing the little things to help us compete, and our pitching has just been solid up until this point. Your pitching's been fantastic. I mean, you have five shutouts. Other than the Stratford game, you've only allowed five runs. I mean, who's been pitching really well for you? Yeah, I mean, Anthony Mazzucato's our guy. You yeah. know, we he's been a four-year a four-year starter for us. Um, his brother, Frankie Mazzucato, as a sophomore, has really had a super year so far, and Matt Byam pitched our first game of the year with a no-hitter. So between Byam and, and Frankie, who were sort of surprised because they were playing basketball and couldn't join us until really late, um, they're certainly stronger, and they're, they're pumping the zone, so we're going to ride that out as long as we can. Uh, Jake McDowell had a great outing up in Keene, um, so that's been, been solid. So if everybody can throw strikes, I mean, I like our chances. Like, I guess anybody can say that, but um, the, the strikes s- are our friend. The, the top of the CCC is just loaded. I mean, there's eight teams right now with just one loss. You guys are obviously the smaller school in there, the only Class M school. What have you seen from the CCC? And then also, what's it like as a Class M kind of going against these L's and double L's every game? So, I mean, everybody's pretty much got a – a legitimate number one. Like right. everybody's got a good arm between, you know, Donahue in South Windsor and Presser Marita in East Hartford and the Duquette kid in Bristol Eastern and uh, Belinsky is in Berlin, Delorio, yep. Glastonbury, I mean, Newman and Southington and the Malloy and E.O. Smith. It just kind of <laughs> goes on and on. So those guys are going to give you a chance to win every day. So being able to throw out a stud once a week at least is – is the benefit for sure. Now, being a, the smaller school, listen, nobody's going to feel sorry for us, and I know that. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody wants to talk schools of choice, but uh, everyone will say it's a rivalry game. But truthfully, like, none of these games are really rivalries for us in a way because we know we're circled on everybody's schedule. Right. And we know we're going to get everybody's A game every single time we play. So, all the games are circled on our schedule. Yeah. Every game is important. We pretty much have kids from every town that we play, so you know they've got that personal um, opportunity to do something good in front of the guys that they've played with their whole lives. But the CCC has just had had a great run um, the last couple of years, and and right now there's just some really really good arms. I'd love to see us go to like a double elimination type tournament because you know you could throw your one out there and give yourself a chance, but let's kind of see what everybody else's twos and threes and even fours are like. Well, we've been talking about that for years with the state tournaments, that it's it, baseball just not made to be single elimination, and if you can get some kind of double elimination or pod play or something, it just seems like it would make it more equitable uh, in the postseason. What do, what do you think about that? 100%. I mean, we don't play during Memorial Day weekend, so if we were looking for more time to play, and baseball was meant to be played on Memorial Day. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So, that's a whole weekend that we could utilize as far as getting more games in. New York just passed a thing, and after first round, New York's going to be going to a double elimination yep. tournament. I mean, if you want a true champion, like a true champion, if we really care about putting like the best team on the the you know the the top, yeah, that's really how you're going to find it. Um, a lot of, and we've been victim of this too. A lot of eight and twelve teams that make it into the tournament they always have, like, a number one. Yep. And the reason they've got their eight wins is because they've got a number one. So yeah. when you put that guy out there, anytime he's got a chance to win. 
And the team's also got confidence when that kid is out there pitching. Um, and we've been victim of that twice. Um, we, we lost to Brookfield a few years ago. We lost to Seymour a couple of years ago. And, and we were ranked pretty high. It just shows that the rankings don't mean anything when it comes down to a yep. single elimination tournament. No. <clears throat> yeah. So part of that proposal, and, and I agree, I think a double elimination for baseball or even a series play in some form, but we would have to, or the CIAC would have to, then limit the amount of teams who make the tournament. Um, I am a, not an advocate. I think that too many teams do get in the tournament in every sport across the board except for football and maybe D1 hockey because there's only 15 teams. But, you know, I think we need to get – rid of some of these 8 and 12, 9 and 11, 10. I would honestly say if we went to a double elimination tournament or a series play, 12 wins or higher. Because now you're limiting the teams. 12 wins is tough for sure. 12 or 13 wins. I mean, if we look back at last year's tournament, let me just pull it up. Uh, You guys were in M last year, right? Okay, so here's last year's M tournament. There were 32 teams who made it. If we did 12, if 12 was the cutoff, there'd be 17 teams. So that might even be a lot. You go to 13, there's 15 teams. I mean, it just you can't you can't do a series with with uh, with that many teams in the tournament and the way that the CIAC is going and the way that they've gone and the rules I think they passed it 2 years ago was if you don't fill out a bracket with 32 teams, the next teams get in so we have 32 so we don't have those absurd amounts of of buys in the first round. And this is not a knock on you know, Rocky Hill, Brookfield, Ansonia, Plainville, and Waterbury Academy, who all got in with less than eight wins last year. Right, right. I mean, what are we I mean, your regular season should – yeah, your regular season should be important. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I mean, that's your that's your body of work. Yeah. I, I personally don't think we play enough games. You know, I mean, 20 games is – that's not really a full schedule when you're limited on everything else. I would love to – guarantee myself three or four games or heaven forbid we played a double header sometime or some schools can't even play on the weekends yeah um you know i would love to be able to play more games be with our guys give them an opportunity to compete and then if you're doing a series if somebody beats you two out of three or even if you just lose in a double elimination tournament against somebody else there's two teams that beat you so there's it's not like it was a fluke a one-time a one-time thing, but if you had the the tournament right now, the way it's set up, there's not a doubt in my mind that you'd probably have you know eight different champions if you played it ten times. Yeah, you guys play in Class M. Uh, that's obviously the the division that gets the most you know guff from people because there's a real mix of the private schools and the public schools. Do you like the way the state right. tournament's set up, and especially in those lower classes, like with you guys and St. Joe's and Northwestern playing against you know smaller public schools? So M to me M is is one of the tougher divisions just because you can have a St. Joe's for instance and, mm-hmm. and even in East Catholic I mean you don't really you really want to play a St. Joe's who's ten and ten because you know they've played a legit schedule during the year you know they've been battle tested well, they knocked you out um, last year right yeah we we had we had a bloodbath with those guys it was like thirty you know, to twenty eight or 13, something <laughs> <laughs> yeah thirteen to eleven thirteen to eleven but you know the other part is. The weather, you know, really kind of screwed up the tournament last year with the way the CIAC did it. You know, some teams were forced to play. They only got in four game or four innings, and their pitcher couldn't come back the yep. next day. I was Seymour I against Coggenshog. I remember that one. Yeah, I know it drastically affected what Northwest Catholic was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it should be the same across the board. So then what happens this year with soccer? 
threat of weather, they just canceled everybody. Yep. So I think as long as we pretty much do the same thing across the board, you know, I'm okay with that. But different fields drain differently, and and when you're talking about proms, games are getting moved, yep. graduations, games are getting moved. I mean, there's so many things to to sort of worry about that you'd like to know when you're going to play. And then the the other thing with with the way our tournament is is people can say three days rest is full rest for a pitcher. It's not. It's no. Four days rest is your traditional full days rest. Right. right? The, the tournament is set up to throw your guys on short rest. Yep. And they want you to play every fourth day, so you have three days off. Um, you're asked to only throw basically one or two pitchers as often as you can. I mean, if we're, we're really talking about getting the best teams, the best, uh, best team to win it all, then – you know, let's play every two days, or let's let's play a doubleheader. Yeah. You know, let's why not play a doubleheader? Uh, we're right. only playing seven innings. It's not like we're playing nine inning games here, which they used to do. And Coach Pendleton would say back when we were men, you know, <laughs> we played nine inning baseball games. Right. So kids are used to the way kids play in the summer. They're used to playing three or four games in a day, never mind in a weekend. Yeah. Um, and I think kids do, they just want to play their sport, whether it's tennis or golf. Or they, like Kids just want to play. That's why they do this. Yeah. Kids are resilient and kids are in good shape. And, and then they, play, they do it in Legion all the time with doubleheaders. And sometimes kids play even three games in a day. And I don't really hear the kids complaining. They're 17, you know. like They should be able to play three baseball games in a day, right? I, I, think, I think that the, the reason is, you know, not you, Coach, but there are some coaches. I mean, even at the collegiate level you watch now, it's the you know opening day of, of college baseball and – I forgot which uh, which program it was, but their coach has their ace out there with 140 pitches in a seven-run game, and it's like well, in the last inning, it's like well, why is he in the game? Right. You know, not right. not every coach has that. You know, be smart, kind of you know the way with pitch counts now, and not running kids into the ground. For every coach that does do that, there are other coaches who are smart, and but that the rule is in there for them, or the way the schedule is done is to prevent those coaches from taking over and, like, running kids into the ground. So I get it, but I also understand your point where it's like, it's baseball, we can play multiple games in a day, we can, you know, do a couple of different things. I mean, if we, like you set up, like a pod system, you have four teams at a field and you run three games that day, you know, you yep. eliminate two teams and, and you go from there. I think that would be I fun. mean, heaven forbid we actually coach our kids and try to get them better. So if there's somebody else that can <laughs> pitch, why not work with them, give them the opportunity, which – is a whole nother, you know, conversation on yeah. not being able to work with your kids in the off season. I mean, pitcher catcher week, which is so bogus. Um, we also only have ten days to get ready for our first game. How much instructing are you really doing? You're more or less just trying to figure out what you have, yeah. so that you can put a team on the field for game one. You're not working out in outside because usually the weather is not allowing you. So. If we were just allowed to, to work with the kids, monitor the kids, instruct the kids, help the kids, I mean, if this is what they do, then they have no problem, you know, working out to get better. Yeah. Right? I mean, baseball players want to play baseball. Ho hockey players, you know, want to play hockey. Yeah, and we we'll let them play. There's that new rule that was passed in, in Rhode Island, and I, I want to get to that, but I, I want to just stick quickly with the state tournament quickly. As a okay. Catholic school, you guys, Northwest Catholic St. Joe's, what do you say to, um, you know, the 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 uh, the people who like are like you guys shouldn't be an M playing against the Plainvilles and the Lewis Mills and and the Northwesterns from the Berkshire League or, or Granby from the NCC where you guys are a Catholic school? 
where you can get kids from multiple towns to come and play for you as opposed to going right. against, you know, Northwestern, where if you've ever been to Northwestern, it's, you know, a true tiny school. Right. So there's so many, like, which side of the, which side of the fence do you really kind of want to argue? Because is there a benefit of kids being able to play together since they're in Little League all the way through? I hear of all these schools that say, well, we've been playing together since we were little. We know each other so well. You know, Pop Warner football, the kids are all sticking together, and they come up through a system together. Um, and when they get to high school, they already know who the shortstop is. They already know who the second baseman is. And when you listen to, to coaches or players at the end of a state tournament or a state championship, I love these guys. I've been playing with them my whole life. Yeah. Is there an advantage to that? I'm going to say, yeah, there, yeah. there is an advantage to that. When you talk about, you know, the R word of recruiting, <laughs> now, if there's no recruiting going on, then there's nothing to worry about because yeah. you're basically getting kids. And I'll tell you what, like, if we're recruiting, like people want to wanna accuse all the time, then let me tell you something. We're doing a pretty horrible job, <laughs> all right? Because the Donahue's and Pascalini's at South Windsor would be at East Catholic. The Preston Maritas from East Harford would be at East Catholic, like, <laughs> These kids would all be at East Catholic if we could go out there, sit in their living rooms, and like LSU football, and get kids to come. All right, my own nephew or my own cousin, who went to Manchester High last year and graduated, you might, um, you know, you know, know who he is, Dylan Benton, pretty good yeah. little player. My own cousin is at Manchester High School. So <laughs> when they go ahead and talk about how there's no athletic scholarships, there's nothing like that. Um, when you get your kids, then it goes in phases, just like pretty much anything else does. You can get really good kids from other towns, and you can get kids that aren't so blessed with athletic ability from other towns. But what you do with them when you get them, I think, is like a testament to what your program yeah. is really is really like. So, what so do you, people will say, "What do you, go ahead?" Oh no, I was just going to say because you know I get it with M. And, you know, once you get to S, though, you look at the bracket last year in S, and there was a true. Catholic school division. I mean, in the quarterfinals, you had four four of the four teams were all on one side of the bracket were all Catholic schools, and they're going up against, you know, the Cantons, the Morgans, the North Branfords, the Housatonics, the Thomastons, the Gilberts. And it's like, well, does Notre Dame Fairfield, and it's not a knock against Notre Dame Fairfield. They had a great team last year. They, they had an absolutely unbelievable run, but they're going up against Coventry in the finals, and this is an ND Fairfield team that played against ML and Double L schools all year. So where yeah. does that so, come in where it's like their regular season was harder than winning the state tournament? Yeah. The regular seasons are really on on you as a, as a school. You know, if you choose to be a part of the CCC or you choose to be a part of the NCCC or whatever the smaller school divisions are, I mean, that's really a school choice to be a part of whatever conference they want to be in. And when you get your, you know, we get four games that we get to pick in the CCC, you know, who are you going out and getting? Are yeah. you going out and challenging schools or are you trying to grab some softies it can kind of be either way i mean m is really all about your draw you can get put in that brutal bracket you can get put in the easier bracket it's really all about your draw the way that it's set up now and it's also the same thing kind of like with the tech schools some people will you know would rather play a, a 18 and 2 team not thinking that they're very good because they played a weak schedule well they could schedule a, a tougher a schedule if they wanted to mm -hmm. you, know, you can go out and get get tougher games if you really wanted to you can scrimmage tougher teams if you really wanted to 
Um, I say it has a lot to do with the coaches and how much effort and energy that they have to put into their program. Listen, Coventry is loaded right now. They've got more arms than, you know, some L schools, for crying out loud, with kids that can, can chuck the heck out of it. And they're going to be very, very good. So what do you do? It's almost like even with basketball. If you've got two Division One players in uh, an M school or an or an S school, for that matter, do they automatically get moved up just because they happen to have a couple good players yeah. for for those years? And like we say, those those schools don't really have a choice on it. But also, you know, every town does have a tuition that you can pay to attend yep. their school. Yeah. So you you can be from South Windsor and attend Bolton High School if you want to. And and there's a person in my neighborhood that does that. So. In a way, that kind of makes, in my opinion, every school really a school of choice if you're willing to pay their tuition. Well, and, to, and to be fair, Ledger, who's in your division, has a you know agric- program. agricultural program. Yep. Then kids do come there from out of town to play there. Technically, you know. Right. So I mean, it's not going to be a perfect system, obviously. And if you look at all the good, the good teams in S that might be schools of choice, there's also at the bottom some schools of choice yeah. so where, where do you where do you draw the line yeah no you know, true i mean it's not for one argument yeah you know there's also another that's yeah it's it's, it's look it, it's not a it's an imperfect system and and i don't think even if they wanted to change stuff people would have disagreements with it because they always do i mean you look at they went to the D1 in the boys basketball and like the first year it was awesome and now this year people were complaining about it so I think I don't yeah. think there's ever a perfect answer, and I think it's something that's just always going to be debated. Now, speaking of the new <clears throat> rule in Rhode Island where coaches are going to be allowed to talk – or not talk, coaches are going to be allowed to <laughs> practice and coach their kids outside of seasons, I believe is the new rule. Yeah. Um, yep. This is something that you cannot do in Connecticut right now in all sports across the board, and I think the CIAC has some rules that are – a little archaic, like one like that, and then players can't play their sport in season, not on their team. So, like, they can't, like, play on a travel team while they're in season for baseball or do any activities related to baseball with another organization. Baseball is just the example, but any sport. And we've seen kids and teams have to forfeit because a kid, you know, played in a soccer tournament um, while his team was playing in the state ch- uh, tournament. So we've seen this. The CIAC has some rules that are up for debate, but this coaching one is new and it's interesting and it's right next door in Rhode Island. So it brings up the question, what, I mean, is this something that Connecticut should do and and how would this benefit, you know, programs going forward? All right. So here's the deal. If, and I guess this in the, in the, in the sense of my statement, I, I have to say if the CIAC cares, all right, if the CIAC cares about its student athletes, then they will allow things like this to happen. Because right now you're forcing kids to either go on their own or go pay big dollars to be instructed by either an AAU coach or somebody else that charges money in order to get better. Mm -hmm. We, basically, because we've got kids who are into it, I pretty much just have the luxury of, having kids do their thing in the off season and then they come back and they're kind of ready to go. Right. But it certainly would be great if I could monitor my my pitchers, my players, help them out at no cost. I mean there are certain criteria for the Rhode Island now. We play we play Bishop Henrikin of Rhode Island every year. 
in like a scrimmage atmosphere. We also play South Kingston, Rhode Island every year. And they're light years ahead of us as far as numbers for kids to come out and play and ability with kids uh, on how they can play. Um, it's just a different brand of baseball. And it's starting to be figured out that if they can spend time with their kids and give back to their kids. Now, every coach might not want to do it, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be mandatory, you know. So it's also how you can sell your program in a way is if you've got something good that you can do with your kids in the off season. If we really care about our student-athletes, then these types of changes will definitely be made. I mean, even if you can't work in the summer, just having a few extra weeks in at the end of February, I think, would make a huge difference for these kids. It's like you said, you get 10 days, really, plus the pitchers and catchers thing, but you get 10 days, you're not outside. How beneficial would just a couple extra weeks of just working with kids before the season begins help everyone you know, hit the ground running once the season starts? Yeah, Listen, our pitcher-catcher week is bogus. Yeah. If we really think that five extra working days is going to get our throwers and receivers conditioned and ready to go for our season. Now, if they want to give us five days, you could do something like one day a week for five weeks. That's yeah. more beneficial than just doing, you know, five days. You also can't – it's only a throwing program that kids can do in pitchers and catchers, and you can't throw every day. Right. And here we are saying kids have to have rest after they throw 26 pitches and more rest after they throw 51 pitches and more. So what are you going to do during pitchers and catchers week? You're going to throw, according to our numbers, throw them 24 pitches every single day because that's what they say kids can throw. Well, as soon as they throw more than that, which a bullpen session should be more than that to get them ready for game one, then how much can they really throw the rest of the week? Usually on Wednesdays, we take the kids to go watch a college game because how much can you really throw? You yeah. can't. And, and wouldn't it be beneficial to get, to get hitters, get their timing down for those weeks too, just to get in a cage and to see some live pitching or whatever it is? Yeah, you can't even put a kid to stand in the box during pitchers and catchers week to get them used to throwing with somebody in, in the box there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can. You can't do PFPs. You can't work on pickoffs. You can't even instruct. You can't even instruct the catcher on how to frame a ball or how to block a ball. They're basically just there to receive the ball. <laughs> and what what is that really? What's that really doing um, to get us ready for game one? It's really not. It's just putting us together. You know, ten of us together. Yeah. Or actually, fourteen now. Fourteen of us together to get ready for the first day of tryouts. Yeah. But, again, if we really cared about the kids, we would have a real program that we could do. And, listen, times change. Times are different than they were 20 years ago, and there's different um, things we can be doing with kids, and coaches also have. I think a lot of the rules were because teachers used to also coach, but you have so many, so many coaches now that are not teachers that why would you hold back the kids if they could be instructed better? even for safety purposes. Yeah, exactly. So how do we uh, – <clears throat> how do you, because uh, obviously this decision would have to get momentum b behind the coaches and then the administration, how do you guys get the ball rolling on this to, to, to try and get change to happen? So we had a, like an umpire meeting before the year to go over rules, and it was stated that the, the CIC is actually an entity for, for us as, as coaches and us as, as schools and that they don't really want to make any rules. If there's something that we feel should be adjusted, that they are all ears as long as there is enough interest in it. 
So if it's that simple, and even if it was just the 32 schools in the CCC that felt like, hey, we should adjust the pitcher catcher week and give them something, then if it's that simple, why don't we do it? Yeah. And I don't know who's the first person. I mean, I see a lot of tweets and everything, and I try to retweet it to the CAC just to say, hey, I'd, I'd love an opinion here. Yeah. I'd love to see what you're thinking about. Um, and if, like on the baseball committee, the people that are on the baseball committee, if they're really baseball people, then they do understand what it takes to get ready for a season and what is should be acceptable to, for a coach to do with their kids in the offseason. Sure, but this you know, be... Is, <clears throat> Would this be something that the ADs would have to, uh, like, would you have to go to your athletic director and kind of be like, hey, like, let's be the spearhead. Let's, let's, be, the, let's be the program that, that gets change. Yeah, I think what they, what they had said was, listen, if you can grab a dozen coaches that feel the same about something, then put it together and your CCC person can bring it to the CIC. And, hey, if the athletic directors want to do it too, then that, that would be great. But it would really be, also be – having an athletic director that knew enough about baseball or in general, just in the off season for, I guess, whatever sports, you know, let's just do it. Yeah. It just, it just seems like steps forward. Yeah. Steps forward. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it just seems like, you know, everybody wants to change everyone in every sport. They, they want to do something new and they want to do this and they want to do that. And it feels like every couple of years it comes up and then it goes away. So it's like, Oh, how do, how do we get, or how do you guys get the momentum to get this to not go away and to actually get change as opposed to just talking about it like we do every couple of years. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I, I feel as though our kids in Connecticut are held back because of the opportunities that they don't have and that we can't do. And when our neighbors of New York and even Rhode Island and, and Massachusetts, that their kids are just in better a better position for exposure and for um, – learning the game because their high school coaches can actually now do something with them. All right. We end every interview the same way. Pete's going to give <laughs> you a, a rapid fire lightning round here. <laughs> yeah, okay. I promise it's painless. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> All right. All right. Whenever you're ready, you're just going to ask a question, quick answers, you know, whatever you think, you just say it. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I'm ready. Let's go. All right, here we go. At the end of the year, who will be the best team in the CCC? Best team in the CCC, absolutely East Catholic. All right, perfect. Uh, where's the best place to get pizza in Connecticut? Ooh, pizza in Connecticut. Well, I can tell you what, that Lena's Italian restaurant in South Windsor makes an absolute mean eggplant parm. Ooh, okay. Then we might have to add that to our stop. Add okay, it to our stop. Um, <laughs> all right. You, got, you guys have like seven hats. Which one's your favorite and why? Yeah, man. Well, I like the white hat this year just because we try to follow a couple other places that have special meaning, and that one has meaning to us. So I'm going to go with the white and Carolina brim this year. What, what is the special meaning? Uh, it's a traditional back in the, eight, the 80s. We also have a, a Carolina set of uniforms we haven't busted out in full yet. So Those are the ones I'm waiting that. to see. I'm waiting to see the full blue pants and the shirt. That's what I want to see. Yeah, the kids got to earn that, so they've earned the uh, Carolina pants. <laughs> All right. So they're wearing it with the navy top. They got to earn that Carolina top. So I think when uh, the Carolina pants with the top and then that white Carolina hat is going to look sweet with uh, the white belt. I agree, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, who's the best player that you've ever coached? 
Best player I've ever coached personally is, is Jimmy Titus, who's having a great collegiate season right now at Bryant. He was Gatorade Player of the Year twice. Game time CT um, Player of the Year as well. I mean, it's a special kid, special player, major injury last year, overcoming it now, just hit his 10th home run the other day, wow. and we've got our fingers crossed that the uh, draft goes well for him. Oh, absolutely. The kid was absolutely unbelievable to watch, and I remember Derek Turner, who was a baseball writer then, was like hyping him up all season, and he was the player of the year that year, rightfully so. All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, we got to buy buy new windscreens and everything just because for safety's sake, if, if he hits you, it's not going to be good. No, absolutely not. All right. Um, would you rather have the state championship games at Palmer Field or Dunkin' Donut? Oh, let's go to Dunkin' because we're just not having any – Luck over there at Palmer. <laughs> no, you guys are not. <laughs> no, you guys are not. And then here, and the last one. Would you light your field on fire to dry it? Listen, people think that's that's like a new thing, man. That's been going on forever. So, just the fact that we have phones now and and we're in a microwave society, that people actually catch it. Because tell you what, if nobody saw it, those kids would have played. Nobody would have known anything, and we would have lived for another day. But I get it. You can't have chemical spills on your field, but whatever it takes to play, to play, yeah, man, I'm down. All right, listen, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time. This was super fun. Uh, Yeah, guys, listen, thanks for having me on. Thanks for all you guys do for high school sports. I mean, where we are today versus three years ago, five years ago, never mind ten years ago, what you guys do for these high school school kids is fantastic, and getting our sports out there, man, we're we're certainly grateful for, for your efforts. Thank you so much, Thanks, and, Coach. And, really and, appreciate and, it. and hopefully we'll get up that way soon and uh, and see a game. And yeah. maybe know. I'll go down the Hamden High because I and get for some, the thousandth time I live right down the block from there. So. You do. <laughs> we, All right, let's see, go. Let's maybe do it. I'll bring you, you guys I'll on bring you one of those. I'll bring you one of our hats. Ooh, as long right. as you'll represent. Okay, I, then we'll be there. Yeah, then we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Coach. Thank All you right, so guys, much. Thank Good you very luck. much. Appreciate it. We are back on High and Tight. Uh, we want to thank Coach East Catholic Coach Martin Fiore uh, for coming on with us. Uh, obviously, the third coach in the history of that program. That's incredible. Like when you think about how many coaches come and go from all these teams to only have three. Obviously, they had Penders there before him, uh, and Don Burns before that. Uh, but he was awesome. Obviously, he wants to talk about a lot of topics and get into a lot of things and. Uh, we did that. We covered a lot of stuff with him. I think I feel like we could talk to him for two hours on this show. Oh yeah, he was. You know, we knew going in like he was going to be. He was going to come with with information. And, you know, there are some coaches who, and for across the different podcasts that we've done, there are some coaches who come on and they just kind of want to shoot and you know have fun and you know do whatever. But he came in and he 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 had things he wanted to talk about. Yes, and he <laughs> and he he spoke about him and and that was great. I mean, you know, all interviews are fun and they're all different and he came in these are the things he wanted to talk about. He wants to get things changed in the CIA scene and that's why I kept saying to him was like, "All right, we can talk about this all we want." Yeah. But what is what do what are you guys, what are the coaches, what do the athletic directors actually have to do to get the CIAC to get moving on changing things, whether it's a double I, elimination yeah. tournament, schools of choice playing in, in lower or higher divisions, or or, you know, coaches getting to coach year round and, and, and stuff like that with the kids. Like what has to happen? Because we can huff and puff and try and blow the house down every year when this comes up. And until you know, maybe it's him. Maybe maybe this is coach who 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 gets the rules to be changed but something someone has to say something instead of every, us just talking on Twitter about it every coach i talk to 
complains about the lack of time in the preseason. We only have 10 days plus the pitchers and catchers, which we all know is kind of a joke because yeah. the kids can't throw that much. And they would just like a little more time before the season to have their kids. Every coach wants this. Go to the CIC and tell them. Yeah. The CIC is does respect the wishes of their people when everyone comes to yeah. them and says, look, we want this. The girls' basketball people came to them this year and said, we want five divisions like the boys. Whether it's right or wrong, that's what they wanted yeah. and that's what they got. The thing with baseball, and we talked about it with Coach, with the arms and the pitch counts and the, and the days of rest, for every program that is East Catholic, yeah. there are 10 that aren't. Right. There are ten, and it's not a knock against the coaches. It's not a knock against the programs. It's just the way that it is. You know, we we did this in football, and I've talked about it a thousand times. Like I've gone to, I went to one football practice or a game, and the coach didn't have enough pants. Kids were taking pants home, and he's like, "We don't have any pants." And then yeah. I went to Greenwich the next day, and they have an electrical down marker. And right. Like, okay. Not all programs are equal. Not, not all are close. the same. No. So when we say, "Hey, if East Catholic," wants to um you know if east catholic um you know if coach fiero he wants to do that he could probably do that because they're east catholic and they have whether it's the funds whether it's the facilities they can do that can some run-of-the-mill public schools in in inner cities do that? Even I mean, just look in their conference. If you look at the bottom of the standings, they're like, are those schools going to do that? Probably not. But it, it should be available. It should be available to teams just to say, hey, in the end of February, if you if your kids aren't playing a winter sport, let them go into the gym and start throwing. Let them start hitting. Hitting's really the thing. Like you just got to get that timing down. I know a lot of these kids go to cages and spend money and do all that, but it should be part of the high school program and. The kids that can't afford private coaches should have a couple weeks before the season just to get into a cage and hit and see live pitching. And uh, it's hard. And this, I think, is another reason why we've seen the divide in these suburban schools just taking off in baseball and dominating some of these conferences because the kids have access to private coaches year-round. And the kids in some of the city schools don't. Yeah. It's a – again, not all programs are created equal. Not all are worked up to be equal. So it's an interesting, I mean, I, I guess if, if I had to share my opinion on it, I would say that I'm for it and I understand it and I get it and I get why certain coaches, but out of the 150 baseball programs in the state, how many of them would be able to put together off-season programs, again, that have coaches who are just coaches? Right. You know, I mean, there are a lot of coaches that are teachers, there are a lot of coaches that you know, look at Chris Borelli. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. He's a history teacher at Amity. Yeah. So how much does that? I mean, I know he lives in Hamden, but now how much more time is that him leaving school to go to Hamden? Right. And they have families and everything. Exactly. Else so it's it. like it's interesting. There's a lot of different things. And I think that the rules and I brought it up in the interview. I think there are rules there for certain reasons to prevent overworking of kids, because for every coach. That isn't at East Catholic. There are coaches that will run kids into the ground because yes. they want to win championships and they want to win games. Look, I'm not pointing out specific coaches, but there have been instances in the recent years, even while I've been here, and it's only been like six or seven years, been covering baseball, where you know we've seen kids pitch on two days rest to win a conference championship game. Yeah. And then what happened the first year the kid was in college? He got hurt. Yeah. And uh, was it worth it? I mean, you know, you kind of sit and you go. You know, it depends on on what you think is worth it. But at the end of the day, the kid's arm is what's important. And 
the two seasons before the pitch count rule was put in, I mean, there was a school that used a kid and he won 11 games in a 20-game season and then pitched in all but one of the state tournament games that team played, making it to the state semifinal. That's a lot of use. Yep. It's a lot of use for a pitcher to do that. The kid didn't complain. The kid wanted to do it. He was fine. But guess what? In college, he ended up getting Tommy John surgery. What Was it directly related to that? I don't know, but it was a lot. It yeah. was a lot on that kid. Don't get me wrong. These kids... And we talk again. We talked about it in the interview. They're resilient. They want to play. The kid's not going to say no. No, never. He's not going to say no to his teammates. He's not going to say no to his coach. He's not going to say no to his school. Very rarely. Okay. Yeah. But maybe they should. And that's why some of these rules are in place to not prevent the coach Fioris, but to prevent the other coaches. Yeah. Who who Just so are set, a little too it, far. It, and it's set in place, right? Yeah. So you have the rule. There's no question in it. So then you don't have to have parents come in saying, "Hey, you're using my kid too much." Yeah. Which shouldn't happen either, but yeah. they do have to look out for the health of their child, and that does happen. Like yeah. where they say, "Look, my kid's thrown too much. I don't want you. I want to take him out." And that's a whole other issue where parents yeah. are dealing with coaches. But, but having the rule in place, the pitch count rule, <clears throat> I think it's been beneficial to everybody. And I know it's not everyone's favorite, but it, like you said, it just keeps everyone everyone in line. It keeps everyone in, in case check. there's that one coach who's not going to do it. Exactly. And there, look, we can say and we can complain and, and say all we want, but at the end of the day, it's about the health of the high school kids. It's about making sure that when they go to college that their arms aren't falling off and they're not getting immediately, you know, they're not getting surgery as soon as they go to college. Just because it's just the – look, it, it is just the way that it is. It, it's what is – Coaches have no one to blame but themselves. Right. And not them specifically, but coaches can really only blame other coaches because we just see it every week. There's another story that goes viral. High school kid pitches 140 pitches in a seven-inning game. Right. And you go, why? 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 Yeah. It just, it happens. And at the end of the day, you need to protect the kids. And that's at the end of the day, that is all that matters because these kids – and because they're resilient and they're kids and they want to do it for their teammates and they want to be the hero and this and this, they're not going to say no. Coach comes, do you want the ball in the championship game? Uh, you know what, Coach? I, I threw yesterday. You know, I threw 120 pitches yesterday in the semifinals. But you know what, Coach? I really, I really want to win. And then when he wins, we'll write the story about how resilient he was and how tough he was. And, well, look at Nathan Avaldi in the World Series last year. That's, he was the toughest guy. He was the greatest story, you know, because he pitched that, yeah. all those relief innings afterwards. Guess where Nathan Avaldi is right now? Exactly. And Getting another elbow surgery. What about the kid from Notre Dame Fairfield last year? He right. pitched in three of their four games to win the championship, or he won three of their four games to win the championship. Now, he came in and out and, and did a lot of different things, and the same thing happened with the North Haven team a couple of years ago with Bob DeMeo, and it's like the kid's not going to say no, and then we're going to write the stories about how great these kids are and how tough they are and how resilient they are, and then at the end of the day, it's like well, the kid threw five, day, five times in six days. Yeah. It's a fine line. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, line. and it's an interesting conversation. And but some I think of the kids a, aren't playing college, yeah. so if those kids want to go burn themselves out, maybe they should be allowed to. But but you know, at the end of the day, the kid still needs to be able to lift his elbow up to pick up his books to go to class. That's optional. <laughs> <laughs> like, all in all, it's an interesting debate, and it's a conversation I think that needs to be had and needs to be brought to the table. And and maybe Coach Fiore is that guy who will bring this to the table for the CIAC to discuss. Because if enough coaches want to do it, there's no reason why. They can't now. This is another point. I know that we're, this is a now a longer episode, but it's whatever. <laughs> now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, the CIAC allows this, right? They allow these schools to practice year-round, get in, you know, the weight room and start throwing early. But it happens at select schools that can 
do it. They can get the coaches there. They can get the gym time. And some of those other schools who can't do it, well, how do they keep kids then from going down the block? Let's say Notre Dame West Haven could do it, but West Haven can't. What's going to stop those kids from leaving West Haven to go to Notre Dame West Haven because they want to throw under the tutelage of their high school coach for four years? What's stopping these kids from leaving now? Because now we're putting at some schools at a disadvantage. Well, and that's what happened. That's whenever you talk about any sort of rule change, you have to weigh so many different options, and that is certainly one of them. And is it fair then if, yeah. if you're allowing the kids who are going to do it to do it, but then the other kids are not doing it because their coach can't make it to yeah. practice half season? Then and what about it's a different thing? And that's probably where you come up with a lot of the people who are against it. You know what I mean? Like they're like, I can't do this. I can't then, work in the off season. So what about the smaller schools who have? kids who play now coach said he had a couple of kids play basketball at east catholic uh state championship team and they got a late start to the season because of that but you look at a lot of these class s schools and i'm gonna go back to the berkshire league because you know it's what i i know and i've seen it a lot of these kids play multiple sports yeah i mean so most how are you gonna get these kids who you know willie on um who we had on the show or i interviewed him this summer couple episodes back check it out but he played at Houstonic. <laughs> he was the starting goalie on their soccer team in the fall yeah. like and he played other sports to get ready for baseball and he also did a lot on his own but how can you get oh okay you have soccer practice in a soccer game okay now make sure you get to the to the gym and throw your you know 50 pitch bully bully no then you're and, then your responsibilities to the team you're in season exactly so, but now these now these these schools these small schools who can't do these year-round workouts because kids are playing other sports have to compete against some catholic schools or some schools of choice who are in class s who have the ability to to train these kids year-round well, that's already happening because the kids, there are, like I said, there are so many kids that were playing year-round and throwing year-round and working with hitting coaches year-round that yeah. you're seeing that divide anyway. So No, I know, but it's an interesting thing to look at. Like when we looked at last year's Class S tournament, yeah, that one bracket had four Catholic schools. They don't belong in Class S. But, that's but a, I'm saying, again, like, a discussion you look at a school like Notre Dame, St. Paul, Immaculate Holy Cross, they have that ability to... These, these some of these kids are only baseball players, and yep. now they got to go up against you know Chapag, who has kids who play three sports. Just because that's the way the Berkshire League schools are, they're so small. Where if you're gonna f- usually, you know, your best soccer player plays basketball and then also plays baseball or something like that. Like at Lewis Mills, like they play soccer, they play boys basketball, they play lacrosse and baseball, and it's like. How can these teams compete on the same field when they're not getting together till the beginning of the spring and you can be together for the year round? There's so many different options and there's so many different things that you need to consider. But at the end of the day, and I think Coach Fiori brought up a good point, is that who would you rather have your kids being taught by? Their high school coach who has a vested interest in them, cares about them enough that, you know, it, you know, some will push, but you know the majority of them don't. Like they, they, or an AAU coach or a travel coach. And I'm not again. I'm not saying that all these guys are bad. All these coaches are bad. But you're going to pay a couple thousand dollars to play ninety games in a travel, so you can get a couple extra scouting looks, thousands and thousands of dollars. Or they can play for their high school coach year round and get the care and you know do that together. But again, a school like East Catholic can do that. Yep. Not every school can do that, and I think that is the big point where it's like, so are we just going to put a handful of schools, more than a hand? I would say more than half of the schools at a disadvantage. Right. 
Well, we're not going to solve this right now. No. Uh, let's talk about our road trip real quick before we get out of here because we did make a really cool road trip to Ledger. We saw a great baseball game with Ledger in hand. Uh, hand came out on top. Uh, Phoenix Billings hit a home run, uh, which still may be in orbit, uh, <laughs> heading for Mystic. Uh, but it hit it off the roof down there. Uh, Pete and I got to see uh, Ledger's home field, which we had never been to, meet their coach, uh, see the donkeys and the alpacas that they have up there because they're an agricultural school. Then, after the game, the real treat, we went to Camp Dog in New London. So good. I, I mean, I was blown away yeah. by how good that hot dog was. Oh, like, my God. Because, first of all, you walk in, the place is a little sketch. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's old and, and beat yeah. up. And, like, you're like, what is going on here? But then they put the food in front of you, and it's like, this is a perfect hot dog oh place. Oh, my God. Like, so good. Like, that, that environment is what you want a hot dog place to be. And the food was exquisite. We both had Camp Dogs, which is... They put a cheese sauce, this dynamite meat sauce they make, which is not chili. It's dynamite meat sauce and onions. Those were awesome. And then the guy working there, like, overheard Pete and I talking and hooked us up with some chili Fritos, which is just a bag of Fritos opened up with cheese and chili dumped inside the bag. Really awesome. Aggressive. Also, it was pretty aggressive. Later in the day, I was a little dicey (laughs) feeling, but... It was nice of them to do that, um, and I highly recommend if you're in New London to stop by Camp Dog. Uh, we love the hot dogs, and I like taking a road trip with Pete too. Yeah, it, it was, was fun. really fun. We had a good time. It was a good time. I got to write my story. In, like, Pete drove the, up from New Haven to Ledger, so I got to sit and write my story on the way back, <laughs> and I was all finished when we got home. It was uh, it was really nice. Uh, so we're going to make some more road trips this year. Certainly going to get some more hot dogs too, right? Oh, for sure. I think we got a couple of places that we need to go check out, and yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. Coach Fiore is recommending the eggplant parm up in South Windsor. I went up to South Windsor last year, so it's not a bad trip. No, South Windsor is great. Um, so listen, we want to thank Coach Fiore for coming on. Um, we want to thank everyone up at Ledger for being so accommodating to us when we went up there. Everyone was really nice. Uh, the AD up there was really great too. Yeah, I um, love Jim. Yeah, Jim was awesome, and the people at Camp Dog were awesome, too, uh, you know, friendly to us and everything like that. So we're going to expand those hot dog things. You know, we're not really doing reviews. We're just kind of going and – Just eating them. Eating hot dogs and yeah, talking about and talking them. Talking about them. That's really it. <laughs> so we'll hit up Blackie's and Capitol Grill and all those other places, Glenwood Drive-In and all those fun places this spring. It's finally starting to get nice out. It's going to be like 70 degrees today, oh, so it's going to be baseball weather. For sure. It was not baseball weather up in Ledger. It was freaking cold. It was like <laughs> – 40-something degrees and a little misty rain. But the game was good enough to, to overcome that. Uh, so, let's, again, thanks, Coach Fiore, for coming on. Thanks to everyone up in Ledyard. And thank you for listening to the show. Kids, remember, keep your gloves down. Don't ruin the game for your friends. For Pete, I'm Scott. We will see you next time on High and Tight. Later. Later.